The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by the Match app. How many people are out there scrolling, looking for a hottie to go on a date with? Perhaps you're looking for someone to marry and you're having trouble finding meaningful connection. I know I was just talking to my friend and he was telling me that it feels very surface level on all these dating apps. Well, we have the app for you. Okay. And this is the app that I told him to go on and he did and he met someone and that is called the match app. So if you're looking for someone who's confident, mature, emotionally mature, and you're not just looking at looks, you've got to check out this app. This whole app is about really pairing the human connection with technology. I think this is genius. They obviously saw white space in the space. And anyone who's looking to upgrade their their dating life and do it in a meaningful way, like I said, this is the app for you. It's called the Match app. To me, there's nothing hotter than dating someone who has depth, personality. I want to get to know who it is. You know what I mean? I don't want to just look at a picture and swipe right or left. You guys are ready for something more like my friend. And if you know what you want and you're not afraid to say it, download Match. And now messaging your top matches is free. Again, that's the Match dating app. Slide into my DMs and let me know what you think. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha. Because you don't want to get a brain-related neurological disease, whether it's Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, ALS, whatever. And we know very, very little about how people develop neurological diseases compared to, like, cancer. Once you have it, there's not much you can yes. do. One of the things that we're talking about is prevention is people that are our age and stuff like that, we're in the driver's seat today. There's things that we can do today that will impact our brain health tomorrow. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Back again. Maria Shriver, Patrick Schwarzenegger, powerhouse of an episode. Powerhouse. Mother, son, duo. Yeah, we... Husband, wife. You and me, husband, wife, not them, obviously. Yeah. Duo. We went all over the place in this episode. God, Maria, what a legend. Yeah, she is a legend. And everything I feel like she does is so meaningful and purposeful. And raising four other legends, Patrick. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're included in that group. That was Catherine. Obviously, Catherine. I don't, Catherine was our first, you know, Schwarzenegger love. She's been on the show multiple times. And Catherine Schwarzenegger came on our podcast when our podcast was a flea. Like, I feel like she supported us from the beginning. We're now like a flea on a flea. Like a tick. <laughs> now, Lauren, we're, we, we're doing all right. Okay. Anyways, guys, like I said, Patrick Schwarzenegger, Maria Shriver on the show. Powerhouse of an episode. We go all over the place. There's a lot in here. There's a lot for families. There's a lot for entrepreneurs. There's a lot for wellness, mindset, investors. I mean, there's a lot in this episode. We talk about history. We talk about wellness. I mean, all different kinds of things. I don't get invited to that Maria Shriver dinner table. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh-oh, Maria, he wants to be invited to your dinner. It's going to be a low point in my life. Maria Shriver is an American journalist, author, and member of the Kennedy family. She is the former first lady of California and the founder of the nonprofit organization, the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. And of course, she is the mother of four, one of her kids, including Patrick Schwarzenegger. He is an investor, an actor, a model. He helps entrepreneurs, and he is an entrepreneur. And together, they co-founded the company Mosh Life. 
Mosh Life is the brain brand, and you're going to hear about it in this episode. With that, Maria, Patrick, welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. We got a powerhouse duo in the studio. I think that's probably an understatement. Maria Shriver, Patrick Schwarzenegger, welcome to the show. Patrick's been, I don't know the last time I saw you, probably down when we had that coffee. I think it was, was it pre-pandemic? I think, no, it had to be because we were, yeah, we, we, it had to be pre-pandemic. Because yeah, no, you, you know why outside. you showed me, uh, come close to the mic. You have you to showed get so me, close to um, the mic. You got showed it. me that gym that was above there. and people okay. were, So it had to be pre-pandemic. Okay, got it, yeah. That's been a sure. long time. Yeah, it's been a while. Wow, you look good. Thank you. I'm trying to keep up with you, all the size you put on. Oh, well, I was looking like a kind of a little bit of a wet noodle before I needed to <laughs> catch up. No, the shirt that you wore strategically shows your muscles. I know too. it's like this, cuffed up a little no, bit on the sleeve. You, no there. accident. He for sure looked in the mirror and just did that cuff a little higher. When you Should've have a Schwarzenegger in the today. studio, you gotta you gotta bring it. Uh, I think they've seen bigger. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I think so. That's true. <laughs> okay, so let's go back. I want to go back to maybe before you guys decided to start your new company together. Mm -hmm. Give us context of how this came about. Well, I think it really started over a decade ago when with with your dad. I mean, I, I don't know if you want two to Two decades talk. ago. Two yeah. decades Let's ago. start there. Okay. Well, about two decades ago, my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and he was really a legendary public figure and one of the brightest human beings I'd ever met and probably anybody else who knew him had ever met. And so it was a extraordinary experience to watch someone who was so intellectual, who was so smart, so creative, lose their mind in real time. And so I embarked on really a two-decade long uh, journey to try to understand the brain, the mind, how one could have such a finely tuned instrument and lose it. And so I started research. I wrote a children's book. I went and did a five-part series on HBO documentary. And I started going around talking to doctors and researchers. And then I started seeing more and more women being diagnosed. And I went to- With Alzheimer's. Yeah, with Alzheimer's. And I went to doctors and researchers and said, I'm detecting that there's a lot of women being diagnosed. And a lot of women who were my age were coming up and saying, I'm a caregiver from my mother. Can you help me? And they said to me, no, no, it's not more women. It's only your perception is it's more women because women live longer, but that's not the case. And so usually when people tell me something is not the case, I go about to try to investigate whether my hunch is correct or whether they're telling me what's correct. And lo and behold, what they were telling me was incorrect. And so we did a big report to the nation, which I gave to the president called the Shriver Report, which reported that women were two thirds of those who got Alzheimer's. And nobody knew why that was because research into women's health is decades, decades behind um, men's health. We don't know the effects of birth control on a woman's brain. We don't know why women are three quarters of the autoimmune diseases. We don't know why women are two thirds of the depression. We don't know anything about how women age. So I started the women's Alzheimer's movement to fund research into women's brains and to see what was going on uh, with women. And as I traveled around the country, giving speeches, producing films, producing documentaries, everybody would come to me and say, okay, that's great. I've got your book. I've watched this, but what do you eat? What do you take? Is there anything I can do so that I don't get Alzheimer's. And there's now an explosion in this space about lifestyle, which is really in only the last five years, where people are saying, wait a minute, some of this might be lifestyle affected. And we now know so much more about 
sedentary lifestyle. We know about food and its impact on the brain, meditation, stress, all of these things. But I started talking to Patrick about everybody's asking me for food and I'm a protein bar fanatic because I'm on the road all the time. And I went to several people, several big companies and said, you know, can you do something with me for brain health for women? They're like, no, nobody wants to take anything for brain health. It's not an industry. And by the way, nobody wants to start a company for women your age. And I was like, well, why? We have disposable income. We're the biggest generation there is. We're paying for our kids. We're interested in our brain health because we see parents, et cetera. So Patrick moved in with me during COVID and I was expressing my frustration about nobody wanting to partner with me or get into this space. And he said, let's do it. Let's do it. If uh, you're tired of being rejected, if you're tired of people not being interested in brain health, I'm in this space, in the CPG space. I know people who can help you. Let's look at all the supplements that you're taking and let's try to get as many of them as possible into a bar and make a bar focused on brain health that will raise money for women gender-based research. And voila, Mosh was born. Can I ask you maybe an ignorant <laughs> question? Yeah. Can you distinguish the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? So Alzheimer's is a form of dementia. Dementia is the umbrella. Okay. Alzheimer's is characterized by plaques and tangles. It's the biggest form of dementia, but there is frontal lobal dementia. There's other forms of dementia. But when most people talk about dementia, Alzheimer's is the primary one. Okay. And once it's onset... Like, I, I guess you there's know, nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, you kind of recognize, but is it too late once it starts happening? Yeah, to kind of I mean, what it? we're, you know, I mean, there are certain drugs there's small that can perhaps slow it down. But what the space is really focused now is trying to understand how people get it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, that's where the research is. And that's an exciting new area because when I got involved in understanding Alzheimer's, all of the research and all of the trials were on people who had it, who are later in life. And now that's completely changed. Now we have, because of NIH, we have men and women in trials. NIH won't fund any trials anymore that don't have gender-specific research. That's new in my lifetime. And we're all looking at people, you know, 40s and 50s and 60s. How do they live? What are they eating? What are they doing? What is the impact of stress on the brain? Because that's where this is going, is to try to understand people your age. Because you don't want to get a brain-related neurological disease, whether it's Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, ALS, whatever. And we know very, very little about how people develop neurological diseases compared to like cancer. Mm -hmm. So that's where the research is going. Much of the research that the women's Alzheimer's movement is funded is focused on women in midlife estrogen, hormone replacement, type 2 diabetes, looking at the impact of sugar on the brain, looking at the impact of hormone replacement, hysterectomies, all of these things that are, to me, super exciting. I think one of the things, well, he just brought up, once you have it, there's not much you can do. Yes, unfortunately. One of the things that we're talking about and that we're- Prevention. Exactly, is prevention is people that are our age and stuff like that, we're in the driver's seat today. There's things that we can do today that will impact our brain health tomorrow or next year or when we are, you know, 50s, 60s, et cetera. So when you're my age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's things and that's some of the stuff that we're talking about with the low sugar diet, what that has, you know, the impact on on the brain and, and you know, high quality, you know, fats and stuff like that right. and, you know, sleep and and socializing and, and exercise. And there's a lot of things that are 
being proven to be quite helpful for the brain. And that's what's so exciting because, as I said, when I got into this space, it was like kind of doom and gloom. Now it's like people all of a sudden are talking about brain health. They're making the connection between brain health and food, which is why Mosh is really carving out this whole new uh, space. I always say with everything I look at, where's the white space? And amazingly, no one was talking about this. So there's a whole world out there that is now focused on brain health. People my age, people your age, you guys are, you know, talking about your biceps and your triceps, <laughs> but you're also, I think, really focused on, yep. you know, how to focus, how not to be sluggish. How to stay focused. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's cool. What is it like when you're when you're young with your father and he's diagnosed with that? I mean, I can't even imagine that. My girlfriend just found out her dad's diagnosed with dementia and I don't have advice or tools. I don't even know if there is any, but what would you sort of like, if, what would you guide her? How would you guide her? Well, first I would tell her to breathe. I would tell her that she's okay and that this is going to be a long road for her and her family and that there is support out there. I think that is really the first foremost thing I'd say to anybody, and people call me all the time, that there are people to hold your hand. There are support groups. Every case of Alzheimer's is unique to that person. I would say get a village, get a support group, ask for help, share your journey, write it, talk it. And then if possible, I would ask her to see if her father could get involved in art groups, music groups, groups himself. My dad was in a couple of men's groups in Washington and they were with, when I took him several times, there's a five-star general in there. There was a Supreme Court justice person's husband in there. There were, you know, a lot of really bright, intelligent people in these groups. And so I would tell her to buckle up. I would tell her that to talk to her mother or if mother's in the picture, I would look at, you know, who does she have that could be a caregiver? Is she a caregiver? Can they afford a caregiver? It's expensive. And so I would tell her to reach out and develop a support group. And as I said, there are many that are out there. It depends on where she is. I would tell her not to shame herself, blame herself. I would tell her to speak to her siblings. If she had siblings, get on the same page. That's a big, big issue because different siblings have different thoughts about how someone's care should go. It's a, it's a bit of a form of, of mourning in a way, huh? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But, but my, I've been touched a little bit by it in, in my family with my grandmother. And it's like, it, it, you know, obviously the person is still physically there, but you start right. to just see them kind of slowly slip away. It's, it's almost, I don't want, I, I, it's hard to contextualize, but it's almost in some ways harder than someone actually passing away because you're just, you're just watching it slowly. It's frustrating. Well, it's, you know, incredibly frustrating. I learned a lot from watching my kids uh, with my father because they accepted him for who he was in that moment. They sat with him with patience. They found joy in his behavior. And I struggled because I remembered who he was. Uh -huh. right. right. And right. so that for me, but they played puzzles with him. And there, were, so there were just like weird glimpses of, of like also kind of hope or something yeah. that it would change. I mean, he was someone that went to church every single day. Sometimes we would come, you know, we would visit him in Washington, D.C. He would have no idea who my, what my name was. And we would go, or, or your name. Right. And we would go to church and he would be able to sing every lyric huh. of, of, of the song. Yeah. Or, or know every single prayer or everything. Memorize. What is it, it like on 
on the counterpart. So like, for instance, I have another friend whose father has Alzheimer's and the mother is really struggling because she is the caretaker. Yeah. And so it's it's almost like the caretaker. Like I can't even imagine throughout the day. Like just do. I mean, it's it's that seems like the hardest. Yeah, that's. And I would say to your friend because you know children, grandchildren, child, my mother, everybody's having their own experience. Yes, and I think that's kind of a larger life lesson. (laughs) You know, even you have a young two year old, right? You're both having your own experience in parenting. You're both going through it together, but also in a way separately because you're experiencing the whole thing in your own way. And so I think that that's the thing with Alzheimer's is a spouse is having one experience. A child is having a different experience. A grandchild is having a different experience. A doctor is having a different experience. And it's, you know, there is wonderful news is that there are support groups out there now that weren't there five years ago, 10 years ago. There are all kinds of groups, music groups, art groups, exercise groups. There's all of these things now because the numbers are so huge. And that's what I'm so hopeful for about Mosh is that, you know, if this company does really well, it can raise a lot of money for research. But most important, it will, I think, or equally important, it will spread this message to people your age and my age that taking control of your health your brain health and your body's health are connected and that we can do that immediately today, which will make everything better. Your overall health is going to be your largest expenditure and it's going to impact your life more than anything else. What are some ways that each of you, and I would love to hear separately because I'm sure they're different, take care of your brain health in the morning and night? What are little tiny tips that you can give our audience that they can take away and apply to their own life? All right. So I see that some of you are following me on Scorch. If you're not following me, you got to get on. Scorch is an app that shows you the coolest spots to go out for food, drinks, and coffee. Instead of screenshotting influencers or celebrities' Instagram stories and like collecting them all over your phone, you can go to this app and you can just streamline the whole process. So what I did is I did my hot list and I put a bunch of places that I like in LA and Austin specifically. I even downloaded a photo of somewhere I went recently. I was in Austin at La Piscina and I had the best pineapple fajitas and I downloaded a picture there. I just find that when I want to find somewhere to go in a certain town to go on the Scorch app and have it all at my fingertips is super helpful instead of looking through screenshots or or searching through DMs or having to like reach out to a friend and get a list. Scorch, everything's on there. You can share your favorite hotspots, post in real time. Like I did on my profile, I just told you about. You can find me on at Lauren Bostick. And they have a lot of cities on there. So it's not just Austin and LA. They also have Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Miami, Nashville, New York, Phoenix, San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, DC, and Toronto. I'm going to do San Diego next. So if you're going on there and you're from San Diego or you're going there, you're going to see all my San Diego picks. Okay. For me, I go off aesthetic, drinks, food, the vibe. I want somewhere that you guys will love that I loved. I only recommend the places that I actually have been to multiple times. If you love the Scorch app like I do and you want to see even more cities on the app, then you're in luck because Scorch is doing another $500 cash giveaway for TSC listeners. All you have to do is leave a Scorch review on the app store. In your review, include two things, the city you want and your Scorch username. 
So download Scorch right now for free. That's S-K-O-R-C-H and leave an app store review with the city that you're requesting and your Scorch username. You have two weeks to enter, so do it now before you forget. I'm excited to see the cities that you guys want. Details and links in the show notes. Well, I'm a massive like habit person. I don't know. I read this book called Atomic Habit and it would just, it, it changed my uh, life. And I've always been kind of a morning routine person. I think we grew up in a family that we weren't allowed to uh, to sleep in. <laughs> what and... time did you have to wake up when you were little? Don't lie. Oh, uh, we, oh, I mean, I think we passed school. Have... Yeah. Catherine told us, I think, like she said, oh, we had crazy, yeah, mornings at our household. I mean, <laughs> the chore routines. Everybody yeah, we, we have would, to take a tangent and you have to tell us. The walking, he'd probably get up at, I don't know what, five something, six, oh, go six. To walk, yeah, six. walk towards the gym just flip our lights on, just keep going. D- didn't say a word, just the lights would be on. And we had, we had very like strict rules. I remember that if we showered for over like five minutes or something yeah. like that, he would, he would turn off the hot water. Like he was that crazy. Or if we didn't, if we didn't make our bed, the, the bedding would be over the, the balcony. <laughs> if we didn't turn off the lights, he would take out the light bulbs. Like it was very strict morning routines, but he always wanted to Kind of have you start the day with a with a win with like kind of a micro win and that's something that you guys i think kind yeah. of came up with together you know and just kind of instilling discipline and, and and kind of dedication determination everything like that but when you start your morning with a a small win of making your bed brushing your teeth working out doing a cold shower whatever that is it creates a momentum for the rest of the day i mean that's that that speaks to brain health it speaks towards mental health it speaks towards a lot of different things of what you can accomplish the rest of the day. But I think one of the big things that I've learned from you and you learn a lot from me with with kind of the trends and in, in changing of food yeah. and dietary stuff and what is keto, what is low sugar, what are these <laughs> different, you know, sweeteners that are better for you, the allulose, all these different things. We've gone into just deep dives of what is the best thing for for your brain. But back to my morning routine, I, I get up very early. I, I think it's a big thing of waking up at the same time every single what day. What time? You have to get detailed. Well, I do. I get up usually 5, 5.30. And I think that that's proven of going to sleep at the same time, mm-hmm. waking up at the same time mm-hmm. is really beneficial for, for brain health. And They've getting been talking up. about that a lot more lately. I think people are trying to like really respect the circadian rhythm and understanding yeah. how important sleep is. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, yeah. and, and you think about the wearable industry and stuff like that of how big, you know, not only supplements have become for sleep, but now the Whoop band or the Aura Ring or other things to track your sleep, see how long you're in the REM sleep and and everything like that. So we got into like a big hustle culture here in this country for a while. Where it was like kind of, sleep was kind of like demonized. It was like get up and go, go, yeah, go. Yeah, and yeah. I think now we're kind of coming back and like, oh, well, I think this we're... country is built on a hustle culture, yeah. right? I mean, people came here to realize their dreams and work is prioritized, yep. right? If you weren't working, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So you wake up. Oh, so, yeah. Wake yeah. Up. Six, I have, always have to try to get six to eight hours. Wake up at 530. I eat something right away. She does the opposite. She does intermittent fasting. Then I work out at six. I go at seven into infrared sauna. Okay. Then I get into the ice bath. I want to be the Patrick. I want to come back like Patrick, right? <laughs> I sauna. read in the sauna. I love it. Uh, yeah. Read in the sauna. Do the cold, you know, ice plunge after, which is the worst few minutes of the morning. But again, once you get onto the other side of that, it's it's massive. Then I have breakfast, go on a walk to get coffee and start work. 
what brand of infrared and what brand of cold plunge are you using? So my mom got me for my birthday last year. She got me a sauna. So I don't even know what. What the, a mom. I know. Oh I know, my right? God, that is so cute. It's my, call my so mom cute. right now. <laughs> yeah, your mom got you some weird sculpture. <laughs> She's not listening. Yeah, I, mom, I can't. I love, I love the sculpture. It's beautiful, but I can't. It doesn't get my morning going. Yeah. Okay, no, so do we know, so the know the, we don't know the brand? We don't know the brand. What okay. the brand is. I don't know. You Maybe got you can do an Instagram story, Patrick, when this goes live and show us like Show a little tour yeah. yeah i got you and then the <laughs> ice bath is i think it's called renew and uh it's just great it's like a little single person cold plunge but i got that because my mom built a ice bath in the ground next to her jacuzzi at the house for that reason what and uh, it's it's honestly so ice cool. baths are game changing it's probably the 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 worst three minutes it's the worst three minutes, but afterwards you feel like you're on crack cocaine. You do. Yeah. You so literally do. It. And this guy, this genius at Stanford, Eric Huberman, who's Andrew the, Huberman. Andrew yeah. Huberman. Yeah. Sorry. He, he's spoken a lot about starting the morning with, with cold water showers and how that helps with activating the brain and retention mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So his podcast is phenomenal. Andrew. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think it's he's so, so exciting. Smart. Yeah. He is so smart. He's at the, at Stanford at the sleep lab. But what's so exciting is that your generation is hearing all of this. My generation heard none of this. Yes. My generation, there was no kind of health and wellness. Nobody talked about, you know, food. Nobody talked about the sugar in your ketchup. Nobody talked. I mean, even right. when I have to say when they were little, I was getting Lunchables. You know, there was no kind of movement about this health and wellness. Sure. And so I think it's so exciting about the way you will age and you will age differently than my generation. And my generation is aging differently than my parents' generation. But I think to focus people on their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health at a young age is such a gift to give them. And I, I really talk about them all connected because I think it's, it's important to connect them all. It's important to understand that your body is connected to your brain and that your emotional life and your spiritual life are also all connected. And that that's what you have to work on really daily as you progress through life's ups and downs. As I always say to my kids, stuff is going to happen in your life. There's no free ride. Everybody gets bumped. And having a strong spiritual foundation, having a strong emotional life, having practices that help you stay on track and understand that these things are waves, that they come and go, and that you have everything you need inside you to survive them is a really important uh, piece of knowledge as you navigate life. You're so right about us having so much information at our fingertips. You yeah, almost have incredible. to be ignorant with your ears closed. There's so many podcasts and yeah. books on tape and ways to educate yourself while you're passively multitasking. I mean, you can do the laundry now and, and learn all about sleep. It's it's really yeah. incredible. You talked about there's no free ride. Right. You have done such an excellent job with your children. Thank you. I need tips of how to raise a grounded, ambitious, driven child. I think if I can think of anyone that's done it the best, you're on the top of the list. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, uh, it's uh, my greatest uh, shout out to Catherine accomplishment. Too. I think, you know, we have four, I hope and believe four really great human beings that we've raised and they're kind, they're funny, they're good. They have been really just extraordinary sources of joy. I had two great parents too, and uh, they really kind of gave me a blueprint to follow. They demanded 
uh, certain things of us, first and foremost, respect. My mother, I walked, I stood up when she walked in the room until the day she died. Oh yeah. And uh, as did my brothers, she, both my parents demanded total respect. I was afraid of them until they died. I did not want to disappoint them. They expected my brothers and I to be of service to the country, to be of service to our communities. And they started us at like five years old, six years old. And they demanded it of everybody who walked into our lives as well. I remember the first thing my parents said to Patrick's dad was, well, what are you doing to give back? And Arnold was like, and they're like, okay, you know, Special Olympics here, you're up, you're the coach. It wasn't you know? like he was just like no. sitting on his ass. No, but in their mind, if you weren't giving back, uh-huh. if you weren't improving the world, what were you doing really? That was where they came from. And so they did it and they thought that everybody at every age could do that. So they demanded it of, you know, people who came over in second grade, third grade, fourth grade and beyond. So I think um, that was something that we tried to instill in the kids was a sense of service. Find if you don't like what your dad or I are doing, find something that you can do. I sent the kids on public, you know, kind of community service expeditions for the summer so that they could see how other people live so that they could work. They all volunteered and Special Olympics. They all worked in Shriver Camp for people with intellectual disabilities. You guys are so lucky. Do you under? This is like so incredible. I'm sorry. You can keep going. This is so amazing. I mean, I'm so inspired by this. Yeah, you don't really recognize it until later in life. This is unique. Let me tell you. This is is unique. (laughs) No, it is. But when you're like seven or eight and your friends are going to camp or something and then you're going to Special Olympics and volunteering all day, you're like, oh, really? And then yeah, down the road, you're like, I'm, yeah, I'm thankful for that for sure. I kind of have a personal question for both. It applies to both of you, actually. When you have such high achieving parents, like your mother, you know, did so many things, started the Special Olympics, your father, yeah. you know, the Peace Corps, so many other things. In a way, that can be a daunting task or life to live up to. And then mm-hmm. same for you, right? You yep. have a mother like this and a father like you have. Like, in a, I imagine that for both of you, that's a, it, it's a tough thing to live up to in a lot of ways. Yeah. Also, it's inspiring, but tough. Yeah. Well, I feel like that it's both, you know, it's kind of if everybody, you know, like growing up is running for president, you're like, whoa, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like, like, let's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty high bar. It's kind of what are you doing? Uh, Well, so I think, you know, I had to go through actually a process of, you know, who am I? What am I doing? How can I compete with that? And of course you can't. And it has its frustrations. It also has tremendous benefits. You know, people come up to you all the time and say that your uncles changed their lives, that your parents changed their lives. To this day, it happens all the time. So uh, I think making peace with it is super important. And then finding your own way and your own place. And I feel like, I, I think, I hopefully was helpful to our children with that because that wasn't an experience that their dad had. I think there's different if you're the one making the legacy versus you're the one inheriting it and trying to balance that because and you also t- you create were a your diff- own. Both a little different one in, in your example. You had a, a massive hi- history with your family. Yes. With Arnold, which maybe like he was the one making in the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. but the, yeah, the complete opposite. So they grew up, I understood what they were growing up with because I grew up with mm-hmm. that. So I think trying to help them, I tried to 
you know, not use their last name when they would go to camp. I would try to make sure that they had really normal experiences, that they were around people who liked them for who they were. I tried to protect them. They had no public life at all until their dad ran. But even when their dad ran, I tried to keep them back, keep them out, keep them normal, Mm -hmm. keep them structured. And with the idea that if you want a public life, you can choose it after college. I think that that was really important. So you never saw like photographs. They weren't in that. And then, you know, like two of the kids have chosen not to have a public life and two are more. Right. But you guys, you and dad were always very supportive and made it very known earlier in our life or in our careers per se, when we were in whatever middle school or high school or college of, you know, whatever you guys want to do, we'll support you. Whether right. that's you want to become a teacher, whether that's you want to become an actor, you want to be a model, you want to be a business mogul, you want to run for city council, you want to go and, you know, volunteer at the church. Right. Great. Like whatever it is that you want to do, just be passionate about it. Find what is it that you're really enjoying? What do you love to do? What what do you love to wake up and, and can't wait to go out and, and kind of work towards? Yeah. I think that that was always very beneficial. And, and I think we grew up in a very, very different time, right? Yeah from when you grew up and you had to kind of live up to your parents' legacy. You know, today we have social media, we have trying to impress other people. And I think that at some point, for me at least, I learned, and I, and I actually probably compliment social media at this point for this, like I learned early on that I'll never, you know, it, it's a bottomless hole of trying to convince other people that you are, you know, creating your own path or that you're going to be successful on your own and not for your you know, parents' reasons or X, Y, and Z. And I, and, I, and I think that I would go down that path of always trying to impress other people until I, I realized that. And now it's all kind of about me wanting to be passionate about my own things, wanting to find my own success, find my own path, kind of just appreciate the life I was given, appreciate the parents that I have, their successes, what I could learn from that, what I could look up to in life for that, but never trying to outdo them. I also think like with you, what's so impressive about you and Catherine is that you guys are showing through action. Right. Like instead of getting on social media and saying all these things that you're going to do, you guys are actually obviously acting. So I think that shows people without having to show them, if that makes sense. No apologies. We haven't met your two other siblings. Yes, I haven't met your two other siblings. I'm sure they're amazing. They're great too. But there's a big thing of, of... like I, I utilize my social media to to kind of to make myself better. Like right now we have a, a whole 5 a.m. club that we do on our social media. Cool. And it's we have like 594 people that get up every day, 5 a.m. We text each other, send motivational things. We'll Zoom. Whatever. I've, I've never met one person. And it keeps me accountable because I have all these random people that I'm talking with and, or whatever that's getting up at five having to do you know, work out at this time, et cetera. So I'm always a big believer of going out and, and kind of speaking things out into existence. And yeah. How did you navigate growing up in, in LA with all these different parents, actors and actresses and all these people that you guys went to school with? We went to school in San Diego, so we right. had a different upbringing than you, I'm sure. I was having anxiety after I had Zaza because my hair was like shedding. So I would sleep and it would shed or I would shower and it would shed or I was at dry bar and it would shed. But I'm not having anxiety with this pregnancy 
because I have my toolbox of resources of how I'm going to grow my hair postpartum. But the things that I did to get my hair back to normal were three things. And I keep talking about these three things because they've worked so well for me. The first thing is microneedling the scalp. And then I also like to use a scalp massager. This is something you can get off Amazon. And the third thing is Nutrafol. Nutrafol has these formulas that are for women and they clinically improve your hair growth and thickness. And that is like such a big tip. This, in my opinion, is one of the only supplements that I've ever used for my hair that works. What I do is I put like a little bowl out on my counter and throughout my day, I'll have three whenever I can. I like to take it after I eat. I like it because number one, it's recommended by so many dermatologists. And number two, there's no artificial additives. So if you look at a lot of hair companies, they have all this shit added, not Nutrafol. It's non-prescription and all it does is support your hair growth, okay? I think you're going to love it. I feel like Nutrafol is very on brand for this audience. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com slash skinny to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to USA customers for a limited time. You also get free shipping on every single order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash skinny. Our upbringing, we didn't, I mean, you guys yeah. didn't have many friends in the uh, was that. Inter- entertainment side. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. you guys had some, but I mean, all of my roommates today are from my lower school, middle school, high school, college. All my best friends today are from preschool. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like none of them are in the entertainment industry. None of their parents are really in the entertainment industry. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, that, I guess that it was, I think was the, I mean, one of the other things that I think, which is interesting about parenting, because you have a young child is to kind of find the line between expectation of what you expect of a person, right. But not tying their success to your love. Right. Uh-huh. I think that that's always a very fine line. If you grow up with parents that have done well, you think, well, to get their love, I also have to do really well. Right. And that was the thing that I wanted to break that pattern from my family to let the kids know that they were loved no matter what that they did. But you can't uh, slack off. You can't well, but you off. can't be a person that's not an upstanding human. Right. Right. So it, but it wasn't tied to success in the outer world, but it right. was kind of who are you as a person? That's what I'm more interested in. Who is that? Is this person kind? Is this person polite? Is this person respectful? Is this person good? Uh, Does this person treat other people of all uh, backgrounds with respect? That to me, and I love this person. I want them to know that they are loved for who they are and that whatever they want to do in the world, it's not tied to Instagram followers or financial success, but uh, it's tied to who they are as a human. And I think that's a really important thing because ultimately, right, we all want to be loved, right? Mm -hmm. We ultimately, that's the greatest foundation a parent can give a child is the knowing that they are loved no matter what. And I think that that's such a powerful gift to give another human being. But I think that, you know, coming back to the, all of the kids, all four of them, their best friends are from preschool and grade school. And I think that that's a really giving 
children um, an earthing, a grounding in their life, right? These people love you for who you are, not for who you're related to. They, they will, you know, you can laugh with them. You can trust them. That is the greatest gift. And that's why kind of what's going on, I think, with school today and mental health today, it's so important for us all to do all we can to support people with young parents, I mean, young children, to support kids being grounded, being knowing that they're loved, because there's so much anxiety out right. in the world, right? And so I think kind of taking, you know, I'm, I know you said your social media has been good for you, but for so many kids, it's really destructive. No, no, for sure. And it stresses me out. I I think about it a lot as we start to think about our child eventually going to school because we all grew, I mean, I didn't get a smartphone until I was almost out of college. I I, was really strict to to eighth grade. They didn't get a smartphone. Michael was paging me in sixth grade. He was paging me on a pager. Yeah. I used to send a, I had to go to the pay phone and then send a pager. I've never said this on the podcast. Oh, go ahead. We met at 12. 12. Wow. Yes. Yeah, 12 years old. We have uh, not been together that long. He wishes. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we so had a great. pager, and every morning at 6.30 a.m., he would page me 1431, which means I love, I love you. you. No, oh, yeah. yeah, I love you. No, you would oh, say 143, and I would say 1431. That's how we communicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, like, and uh, that's how my parents used to get a hold of me. So I didn't get a smartphone, not because they didn't let me, but it didn't exist, right? It was like, yeah. it right, came out right. Yeah. right when I was graduating. Um, but yeah, I remember having to go to the pay phone and like, yeah, you know, get a, they call my parents back yeah. if they page me to come home. But I think about this a lot with my child or our child because when we went to school, there was not there was not this all this outside noise. Yeah. Like you went, you saw your friends, you've, right. you did stuff, the school activities, your homework, and then you were excited to see like what happened the next day at school, right? But yeah. everybody's so connected now, and I think like where do you send her? How do you manage this? Like how do you right. how do you kind of create that environment while recognizing that we have to evolve, but also not right. like, disconnecting her so much from the childhood that we had? It's, yeah changed i mean even since i was in high school right or middle school but i was the last kid in my whole grade to have a, a phone i mean yeah same you with can, my all siblings. the all the kids say i was the last one i'm the only one with the curfews yeah I'm we the had only curfews one i was i was the only their parents it's true <laughs> i mean we had 11th grade it was 11 p.m 12th yeah. grade was 12 p.m you know so on and so forth but i was the only one in my class that had a a curfew <laughs> the and, sob story yeah but, <laughs> I mean, I'm appreciative of it now, but it was true. And then I got the, and you know, we had our smartphone way after. You got after. other things that other kids didn't for have. For sure. For <laughs> sure. I'm not complaining. You I got, actually am happy you that. You got the that, wake up, the wake yes, up in the, the morning. Up, exactly. You got the tools. I got the cold water. Yeah, I got you got the all. cold water. <laughs> and I think another thing that was really important in our upbringing, which I would recommend to you guys, because I, we continue to do it today, mm-hmm. is our family dinners. Yeah. We, and yeah. that was something that I hated as a kid hated it would be like a friday night michael and we'd be has like, a problem understanding the concept of family dinners can you guys talk about that so i can manipulate him please uh, no i'm sure. down for the family dinner no 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 you're doing a family dinner with zaza in her high chair with your back turned on your phone oh no yeah, yeah. Right. Those, we were, the biggest, perfect those were the person. only fights that's we actually, got some arguments over i had the, with patrick a while ago you oh, was ago. on the phone i would be at yeah because at the yeah. table like i won't have that and we weren't allowed to use the phones at the table so we got to get rid of Maria, the if phones i was at and, your table i would never i would even look at a phone. I would, I would <laughs> no, you would not. Then no, how come you do it at my table? Well, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm like, now I would be like, I, I, would, I would hit phones out of other people's how hands. How do you how do you incorporate a family dinner? What are the the rules for it? Well, I used to, you know, if even if I went out to lunch or dinner, even outside the home with Patrick or his brothers, I would. There's no phone allowed, and Patrick would push me 
on that. And then I had to excuse him from the restaurant. <laughs> uh, excuse him from the restaurant if he did not pay attention to me. But it's just, it's just not allowed at the table. And I, because I really promote conversation at the right. table. I really encourage, first of all, the kids, we have a Sunday dinner and everybody's allowed to bring friends or guests. They just have to tell me ahead of time. Um, not who it is, but just that they're bringing people so I can have enough chairs at the table. But I'd like to promote conversation, family, the concept. I'd like to believe that we have a big table and everybody is welcome at it. But then th certain things come with being at the table. You talk, you ask questions, you learn, you communicate, you collaborate. And then I try to do it in smaller doses throughout the week. What time was the family dinner? Was there a time everyone had to be sitting down? Well, I'm trying to get Michael on board with this. Yeah, I used Sundays to do it seven. Are, yeah, well, seven is what we seven. used to do. Now, now I'm moving it at 6.30. Because Last night got pushed a little bit because of the football game. Oh, my God. <laughs> good game. Yeah. I watched it on the flight. Oh, my God. It was... I, I had to, like, calm myself because I was going insane. <laughs> and I also had my girlfriend's mother in town who was there from Alabama. So she flew in and was having dinner with us. And when it's a football game, I go crazy, screaming at the TV, running up. And this game His last mood night is so dependent was on who's insane. Winning. There was just up, down, up, down of all these different points. And I was screaming and she was there. And I had to, it was a, uh, so who did you started. want to win? I wanted the Chiefs to win. Okay, and I okay. wanted the Rams to win. But both the games were, which that, that both happened, but they were insane. Yeah. They were they were nuts. And, I'm just uh, trying to compare this to Real Housewives because the Chiefs, I have no idea. Like, that sounds like a restaurant to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so dinner was, last night was a little late, but usually it's 6.30. Yeah, we tried to move it up now because Catherine has a baby. And so we want to make sure that they can come and that Lila is also part of the conversation. And I'm a big believer in that, you know, that she's at the table, that she hears all the communication and the noise and sees all of that. And then it just, you, know, you should get out of the high chair and you get into the chair and then you get into the next chair and you start talking and communicating. But my parents did that. They, they had the most interesting tables mm -hmm. of any tables I ever went to. They I'm filled sure. it with priests and <laughs> political leaders and nonprofit leaders and people of different parties and different faiths and different colors. And, you know, it was always a wild table. And my mother would turn to like, okay, speak up now. What do you have to say? And what have you read? Right. And what's your opinion about this? And she would, you know, throw questions at people and people would something be like, uh, 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 she goes, well, don't come back here unless you have something to say. You know, she the phone would, thing is going to be interesting to see what happens for the next kind of generation though. I think people, you know, honestly, I think we're starting to kind of push back. Sometimes we go out to like phone. a dinner and there's other kids there and they're all sitting at the table with their iPad yeah. watching a, a movie or playing a game. And yeah, it's like, sometimes we have to do that with our yeah. daughter because we don't want her to scream in the restaurant. Do you have any uh, other tactics for that? Because I mean, it's, I don't, I don't sometimes have we have to you. like give her baby shark because mommy wants to have a glass of champagne yeah. and she's like, we have to monitor it. So we're trying to, we're trying to get better with the phone at the table. Yeah. So I didn't have that, but um I. So I don't know. I mean, I understand that like if you you don't have any help and you want to go out and you have to, you know, bring your children with you and that's the only option. So I think, you know, one of the things I've learned is I try not to judge. I try not to judge parents. I try not to judge people when they have a parent who's got Alzheimer's or they make a decision to put somebody in a memory care facility. It's like, you know, I don't know the story. 
So I oftentimes my kids will go, look at that kid over there. You know, his parents aren't even talking in their eyes. I said, like, we don't know. We don't know what they've gone through, what they're dealing with. We don't know. So um, I think that the more you can talk to kids at the table, I just believe in that. The more you can incorporate them into whatever's going on at the table. I'm inspired. We're going to have family dinner at seven o'clock. No phone at the table. Zaza's going to sit with us and then she's going to move to the big chair. And you're going to have intellectual conversation. So bring it. I'm in. I have a tangent question. I was like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) are you scared? I'm I'm channeling you and your mother. (laughs) Um, Okay. I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) Tangent question, something you touched on. talking about the the tables you grew up in and the, yeah. the people that would come and p- people and not get it political here but people from opposing parties showing mm. up at the same table and having conversation i feel like you know i don't want to generalize everybody but there's less and less of that going on i imagine you know being parts of those conversations keep you a much more open-minded individual mm. right and sure. and i yeah. and i wonder if you could just like like discuss that a little bit because i fear that we're losing a little bit of conversation All right, we had the founder of Symbiotica, which is a high-quality bioavailable ingredient supplement company on our podcast, and people freaked out. And they freaked out because he is a total practitioner. He's a wellness guru. He is all the things. The way he broke down the supplement industry was wild. You guys have to go listen to his episode after this. It's such a good one. I learned so much. I was taking notes in the episode. If you are going to start with a Symbiotica product, I know Michael recommends his own thing. My recommendation would be the B12. It's this little like liposomic. I hope I'm not saying that right, but you squirt it in your mouth in the morning. So I wake up, I'll just squirt 10 squirts in my mouth. It tastes really good. You don't even have to put it under your tongue and it just gives you that little kick. And then they also have this stuff. It's like liquid gold. It's called Shilajit and it's minerals. And how I incorporate that into my routine is I'll just put it in whatever I'm drinking. I just do a little tiny spoonful and it contains 84 different essential minerals. I think I was not getting enough minerals for a long time. And so this little little tub of liquid gold that everyone is talking about on the internet is like a mineral resin. And it's like a super antioxidant that improves memory, helps with immunity and energy. But most of all, it's anti-inflammatory. I obviously like to have my wellness routine dialed out, but I have my stuff like in a little cabinet in one area. So I just go, 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 go. So it's very seamless. If you're looking for other supplements, they have a very sophisticated organic formulation of vitamins. Every single ingredient is chosen with you in mind. You can use code skinny at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. This is in addition to custom bundle discounts. So people can get 45% off. Create your custom bundle at symbiotica.com and get 30% off. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. And we're going to have the founder on again since that episode was so popular. Well, for sure we are. I mean, obviously I grew up in a very democratic household, but my parents, even though they would have been considered progressive, certainly my mother's work on behalf of people with intellectual disabilities, she was also, you know, wrote a book about abortion called The Terrible Choice, way ahead of her time, about not having abortions. Mm -hmm. Because both my parents were strong Catholics and kind of looked at their lives in terms of social justice, but they also had a lot of Uh, So they worked to that point. They worked with Republicans and Democrats, both of them, even though I would say, you know, obviously 
lot of the House was Democratic. But when I met Patrick's dad, he was a Republican. Sure. And you would have thought my family was really taken aback by that. And then I was a Democratic first lady in a Republican administration when he was governor. They were taken aback or you would have thought they would be taken aback? No, they were originally taken aback. Yeah, because people think Republican, like, uh uh-oh, what does that mean? And, you know, obviously they came to know and love him. But there definitely was he sometimes opposed people who are running for office that my family took the other side. So I think, you know, you you learn to be open. I think I certainly learned as a first lady, I was working with a lot of Republicans and a lot of Democrats, and I really got a front row seat that neither party had all the answers. Neither party was, quote unquote, um, the best way and the only way. And I think that certainly changed even since I was first lady. I think we're the Republican Party on the national scale is definitely in and having an identity crisis for sure. But I think, you know, that many people, if you look, don't really identify with either party. I'm a now an independent. Same. Yeah. Me too. Registered. <laughs> Me too. So I think people, I, I say pe- people are politically fluid. I think they have some, you know, that's not a term. It's just one that I use because I think people have a little Republican in them, a little conservative in them, a little Democrat in them, right. a little progressive in them. And these terms have boxed people in yeah to spaces that they're kind of struggling to it's push out. It's gotten rid of all the nuance, right? It's like you don't want to feel, you know, you may you may have some conservative thoughts here, but you're also maybe more progressive over here, but exactly. you can't, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Yeah, well, you are if you say it, but you have to be brave. Yep. And I think you have to know yourself and be able to explain why you think the way you think. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we approach always, like Patrick has some friends who are, uh, I remember in the campaign when Mrs. Clinton was running against Donald Trump, he had some friends who were um, for Donald Trump. And I just, I was like, I just couldn't understand that. And so I was always like, talk to me about that. Let me understand your thinking. And it was always very eye-opening to me to hear people, just like it is with people who are you know, anti-vaxxers, what their reasoning is, and just to try to talk to people to get below, where did you come to this opinion? How did you come to this opinion? And it's usually far more complicated and complex than any of us realize. You know, maybe a position on vaccination comes from some family history, comes from something that happened to you when you were little, um, or you always grew up in a Republican household and you just assumed that's what you should have been or whatever it is, you know, but I think learning how people come to where they are and giving them the space to change, to evolve, um, is really important. Yeah. I think, um, the, you know, if you, if you were to just watch the news all the time, you would think that like they're, you know, people just decide one way because they're affiliated with a party. But like, like you said, I think a lot of it has to do with your upbringing, you know, family history. I think it has to do with what's personally impacted you, how it's personally impacted like yeah. all of yeah, these things. For sure. We've just gotten past the point of looking beneath the surface, right? Yeah. It's just like, I'm just going to put you in this box and then you're this, you're a Trump supporter or you're a whatever supporter. Right. Like, yeah. Patrick, yeah. I would love to know something that your parents have taught you that you always look at, but I also would like to know something that you've taught your parents. Huh. Well, the, something that my parents always taught me, I think, was always the idea of giving back. I mean, that's always been instilled in your family. That's one of dad's top three or four kind of advices in life of, of success is giving back, finding something that you're passionate about and finding ways to help 
someone else, that you didn't get to where you are today on your own, that you always have a helping hand. And how can you kind of extend your hand to help someone else in terms of whether that's donating money, whether that's volunteering at the church, whether that's volunteering for a different program or whatever that is. So that's something that I think that stems from your yeah. kind of your parents or even maybe their their grandparents, et cetera, because definitely didn't come from dad's side. Yeah, but probably, I think but. To, to Arnold's credit, you know, he was an unbelievable student of what he walked into and in, said, like, that makes sense to me. I'm going to incorporate that. So I think that that's a, I think, a great example to people to, if you see something that you perhaps didn't grow up with, incorporate it into your life. And you can do that at any age. You know, it just, if, you know, some people were raised with that, but other people can, by meeting somebody or getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner or whatever, and then could see, oh, they're doing it this way. Maybe that would be great for me to incorporate that as well into my life. But I think Patrick does that with young entrepreneurs. You're always taking time. So many young people come to you and say, how do I do this? How do I start that? And you're always taking time out to, to explain to them how to get going in business or what to do and how right. to stay motivated. So that's, and what he's taught me, I mean, I didn't know anything uh, about what I'm doing now. I mean, first <laughs> of all, I, I mean, not a word. And even it's half the time I'm in the meeting and they're speaking in acronyms. I'm like, whoa, 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 what, what are we talking about here? You know, because I came from journalism and politics in the nonprofit space and I had never been an entrepreneur starting a company. He, along with his siblings, also has taught me so much about health and wellness. You know, I was just eating everything that I grew up with. And then my You were eating everything and then you would complain about how you felt right after. That's true. (laughs) She would eat this and be like, oh my God, I have the worst headache. And you're like, maybe because of that bar, you just ate at 20 grams of sugar. (laughs) Yeah. And then she's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So that was kind of how it's- That's true because I didn't grow up reading labels. No, no, no. It's way different now. But I think one more thing that I think that- you taught me, but then I also taught you. I know that sounds weird, but (laughs) it's kind of betting on yourself. And I think that you and dad always said to be very confident in yourself and what you want to do. And and it's so interesting how we all kind of invest in other people, whether that's, you know, someone that's that's working for you or whether that's you're putting a dollar into Apple stock or into Tesla and you're betting on, you know, Elon Musk or or whoever. But so many of the times we don't bet on ourselves. We don't invest in ourselves. And I think that's something that I learned from you guys. But then also it's easier said than done. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the ways that Mosh was born was that everyone kept kind of rejecting you. Yeah. And your idea to start a company that focused on brain health and on brain and body health and and talked about how foods impact the brain and the body. And it was me kind of coming back to you saying, bet on yourself. Right. Start this company yourself. And you're not too old and you're, yeah. you're really passionate about brain health and raising money and giving back and educating consumers about what they're eating and drinking is impacting their brain and body health. Yeah. And you know what? I'll help you with it. You know, and that was one of the beautiful things during COVID was I moved home with with my yeah. mom. I moved back in with her and, and lived with her for the first time since high school. Was and, it just to be just to be closer during a time? Well, when during the were... beginning of, of COVID during that first weeks of March or something, we didn't know what the heck yeah, this yeah. thing was. Yeah. Right. We didn't know like if you step outside and you touch this person or that person or, you know, if you I go grab a, off the FedEx yeah, boxes. Exactly. Yeah. We yeah. were like cleaning the groceries <laughs> and stuff. So we were like, OK, let's move back and we can still get to see each other, hang out. We don't have to worry about me seeing other people and stuff. So I moved back with her. We watched television shows all day, but we worked on on Mosh. But it was this kind of reconnection that we got to have and probably 
without COVID, we would have never done this again. That living is together. so special. Right. And it was like, I had this other time that, that film industry was completely shut down. So I wasn't doing any work in there. And I had this time now and her work was the Today Show and everything. Yeah. He wasn't allowed to travel to New York. So her work was shut down and we were like, we both have this time. This is what you've wanted to do for so long. Yeah. Let's do it together. This would probably be the worst time to start a company, but it's also the most fun. <laughs> maybe, best maybe not. Maybe the, You know, I wanted to ask you, like touching on something, betting on people. Like, right. I, I, I think people know this, but if they don't, like you're a very savvy investor. You've made some really good bets. What do you look for? Yeah, he has. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, one well, I know the, some of the things you're involved in. I'm like, that's smart. And it was smart you. before people knew it was smart, which is why I'm asking, like, what are you yeah. looking for? Well, it's, it's really interesting because I... It's almost like ignorance is bliss to me. Like my first investment in a company was one called Blaze Pizza, which my, my mom was involved yeah, we with did as together. well. And it was yeah. a company. I didn't know anything about financial projections. I didn't know anything about financial models and what this business was going to need to do this or that. But I really bet on the person behind the company and the overall idea. I mean, I was in what, 10th or 11th grade. This was my first investment and my mom believed in me and 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 helped me with that but you know they were like oh chipotle is doing so well that's you know everyone's customizing their mexican food and subway just grew so big and they customized their subway sandwiches and why don't we do that for pizza and i was like brilliant this is brilliant and but as i continued to grow you know older and 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 learn more in business school and stuff like that i became a little more intellectual with my investments but one thing always stayed the same which was kind of betting on the jockey betting on the person and, um, and so what are those traits you're living? Because I think like, again, there's yeah, a lot so, of young people that are thinking, I want to start a company. For sure. I would say first off, 90 something percent of my investments have been in individuals that are my age, all under the age of 30 that are just extremely hungry for not only success, but for their own why of why they created the product. So with Super Coffee, a company that was doing, I just pulled that know, up. I was going to bring that up to you. Yeah, They're than, in Austin, right? Didn't what? They, didn't they're, they just moved to yeah, Austin. Yeah, yeah. But that was a company that was started by three brothers in their dorm rooms, had no business, uh, you know, accolades, resume, anything like that. They went on Shark Tank, didn't get a dollar. All of them rejected it saying this is, you know, a terrible idea, whatever. And these three brothers, I've never seen three guys more focused and hyped up on this idea of selling positivity. Wasn't selling coffee. It was selling positivity and how everybody's morning usually starts with a coffee. And how can we start everyone's morning with a coffee that, that starts them in a positive environment, positive mindset, and positive body way? And so I just, I messaged them on Instagram and I was like, I don't know anything about your business. I don't you know saw any- this just on Shark Tank? Yeah, okay. Shark Tank. This is probably five years ago, whatever it was. And they were doing like, you know, less than a million dollars of revenue. And I just said, I want to I be in business with you guys. I just think that, you know, if this business doesn't work, something in the future will with you guys. And I want to be part of that journey. And they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Thanks for reaching out. Do you want to? Sure, we're, we're interested. So I flew to New York. We did a handshake deal the next day at a, at a Ruby's Diner. And, you know, the company, yeah. I mean, they just raised that over $500 million, three brothers that live in Austin. But, you know, same thing with Liquid IV. It was a 23-year-old, you know, guy that started in college. And his whole thing wasn't about, you know, trying to make a product that went out there and sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. His whole thing was, there's a lot of people that are dying from dehydration, from diarrhea, from dehydration overseas. And how can I go and, and solve that issue? And the margins were so high on, not on bottled beverages like Gatorade, Powerade, anything like that, but how can I turn those into sticks 
of hydration packets. There was less to ship overseas because the the weight was way less. The margins were way higher. So he could afford to do a kind of a one-for-one model. And so again, it was about this whole mission, his why, not selling the what or the product, but this why. And, and, and that's what made me want to bet on him. Same with the guy who started Whoop. Same with the guy you know, who started this you know, outer outdoor furniture, so on and so forth. So it's really about me investing in other people. Well, the and, reason I wanted to ask you that is because I think there's so many people that think about doing, you know, building one of these companies. They get so overwhelmed. How do I raise money? Who do I right. pitch it to? How's a Patrick Schwarzenegger ever going to talk to me or look at me? And I think like it's putting it out there. Like, even some of these bets that you made were really early on people that probably didn't have a, a great business plan, right? They, they didn't, didn't have, have a, a lot of track record, yep. like all of these things, but they're betting on themselves. They're, put, they're telling their story, yeah, right? Exactly. And I think, you know, I mean, it's, maybe a little cheesy to say, but it's one of my favorite YouTube videos, one of my favorite talks ever by Simon Sinek, who's been become a good friend of ours is, you know, focus on the why, not the what, that customers really buy into your why, your purpose, not into the actual product. And I mean, he has a whole plethora of research on different companies that have focused on the why versus the what, but that's what I really like to do is really focus. I don't really care about where did you graduate from? What you know, what did you do X, Y, and Z for, for your college? What did you study? But what are you really passionate about? What are you focused? Are you going to work your ass off? Excuse my language. It's been and, said before on the show. Yeah, among, okay. other uh, things. <gasps> and, among other things. And are you just going to, you know, do everything you can to make this, this mission successful? And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about entrepreneurship is that, you know, anyone can really go out there and, and, and start a company. And if there's a problem out there in the market and you're seeing that and you're addressing it, there could be a solution that that could become something that's very, you know, lucrative or that helps a lot of different people. And I think that's where, you know, going back to you again was you saw the problem. You saw these people coming to you asking for what can I do? What can I do? What's the pill? And you said there is no pill, but there are things that you can do today that will impact your brain health tomorrow. But but so often we're so afraid of, of failure. And I think that's one of the negative sides about social media today is, you know, what are other people going to think of me? What if I don't get to this? What if I don't get this many followers? What if my business doesn't become successful? And it's kind of like a highlight reel, right? Everyone's posting all their, their accomplishments and stuff like that, but then no one ever really posts like when there's a failure, when something is not going well or, or in the down and the dumps. So, you know, we're always kind of afraid of of failing or, or, you know, disappointing our parents or not living up to making them happy. So that's one of the reasons that most people don't go out on their entrepreneurial journey. But you make me happy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm inspired. And this is perfect timing because we're launching tomorrow the first ever women's shaving cream. There's there never been a shaving cream for really? women's faces ever. So why? So out of curiosity, why did you why did you start that? So we, we have a, a product line for the Skinny Confidential yeah. and one of the products is a women's face shaver because no one talks about it. Right. And Oh, face shaver. Yes. Okay. Face shaver. Wow. Women are shaving their face and it's like the secret. Okay. So they're, yeah. We launched the shaver and tomorrow, this everything you're saying is just so relevant to me and I need to listen to this TED talk that you mentioned because yeah, look, it's, it's shaving really, cream. Like yeah. need to, I can't believe there's never been a women's shaving cream. So right. That like everything you just said makes me feel like we're in the right spot. That's great. And I can't How do you be think you've been successful? Oh, that's a good question. I think that anything that I've done successful, there's been no epiphany. It's been slow work every day, chipping away, mm-hmm. consistency, determination, doing things when I didn't want to do it, but mostly sacrifice. 
Mm. A lot of sacrifice on going out at night or sacrificing maybe a birthday party or saying no to focus on the vision that I want to execute. And I think execution, just while we're on that, I think is really important too. I think a Mm. lot of people have ideas, but they don't have the execution factor. You know, I think like people come into this space sometimes and like, oh, this happened quick, you know, but Lauren started the Skinny Confidential, what, 2010? And yeah. we started podcasting in 2016. And like this thing kind of started in 2000. I mean, it's been a it's long been a time. Long, been 13 long time. Years. Yeah. And I wish, to your point, a lot of those earlier days, and even b- before we started in media, like I wish we could highlight some of those early failures because there was a lot of them. And it took like, a, it, there was a lot of moments when you sit around like, are we doing the right thing or should we just go and, right. you know, do something else? And I don't think a lot, enough entrepreneurs talk about that side. So, it, you know, it overwhelms people. They just look at something, an end product, and they're like, oh, they just always had it figured out. Just It's definitely not the case. It's, it is a really interesting thing. And I think that's going to become more relevant as we continue to go because we've seen that with, with just with Mosh. I mean, we had something you know, <laughs> a month ago. We've had problems off the wazoo. I mean, every single thing you could have imagined. Can you give us a struggle that... And it's not the best time to maybe, be shipping products or... Yeah. There's nothing yeah. is the best time. Right. I mean, we had things where our, our we were about to launch and the manufacturing went down. We had to start fully over. We lost over a year of, of recipes and, and we've had things that, that our inventory and ingredients were sitting at the ports for months. We couldn't get any products to any customers. We had people that had bought stuff, couldn't get it. We were... We had not one product to sell for all of October and part of mm. November right after our launch. And I think um, one of the, that's where it kind of, I think age has been helpful. Like Patrick in the beginning was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is like a disaster. And I'm like, we're going to be okay. It's all right. You know, what's like the worst thing that's going to happen? And I always say like, I've failed. I've failed publicly. I've failed privately. And life goes on, right? And it's not, failure isn't, I think, the thing. It's how do you deal with the failure, yes. right? And it's not- What we did was, uh, yeah. which I think was unique about us, was we told it straight to the customers. Yeah. Right. We're having, you know, hey guys, we're so sorry. We're out of product. It's stuck at the port. This is what's happening. We're trying to manage our inventory better. This is our first go at this. We totally messed up on X, Y, and Z. And just communicating with them, sending them emails, and they were really like, I was shocked how appreciative and, and interested they were of why things were going wrong. Yes, I or, think they get, they get mad when there's no communication factor. And right. I think you guys communicating that was really smart. Yeah, but you and, have to communicate it to yourself too, right? right. That you can't let the, the failure in whatever area it is, whether it's you're selling products, whether you're journalism, you're parenting, whatever it is, how do you tell that story to yourself? Because ultimately, it's your narrative in all of this. And You're so, very stoic. Is, <laughs> is, is, there, is there things that you read or listen to that help oh, you be yeah. so pragmatic? That's a whole other... Yeah, I don't want to see my desk. I actually subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I subscribe oh, to your newsletter. Thank Catherine you. Thank told you. me to. Good. Do you enjoy it? The Sunday paper? I think yeah. it's so cute. Thank you. Is there, like, you seem, you're, you're so level-headed and logical. What are the tools that you use? The books, the podcasts? Well, we'll coming back to the meditations, uh, yeah, you know, habits. she has a whole morning routine too. Yeah, by yeah, the we didn't get to hear. Don't, yeah. I am not forgetting okay, that. Okay, good. So yeah. I, I'm not forgetting that. You can go ahead and tell us that and implement the tools and tactics that. Well, you Well, I'm use. a big believer in meditation, so I meditate every morning. I don't pick up my phone, so I come down. I make my coffee. I sit. Um, I look out. I meditate. I write. 
I'm a big believer in expressive writing. So whatever you're feeling, especially if it's negative, if you write it, you can write it out. And uh, so I have something like a thousand something or others in my notes. You know, I just kind of sometimes I write it in longhand. Sometimes I just write it on my phone and then I exercise and I have coffee. But I'm a big believer in kind of looking at my day, being grateful. I have a gratitude practice. I speak to God every morning before I even get out of my bed. I say my prayers. I thank uh, God. I, you know, I'm really kind of focused on my blessings, my gratitude, my intention in the day. I read a lot. I I read a lot. I surround myself with uh, people who are inspiring, who are joyful. I um, am really intellectually curious. Uh, I think, you know, for me, journalism was a great fit because I'm very curious and it has allowed me to meet people from all walks of life, people who have gone through extraordinary things, who've dealt with grief and uh, disappointment and setbacks and continued on. Those are the kinds of people who inspire me. I'm really into that. I'm into talking to people about how they did that and what motivates them and their why. What are you reading? Right now? Right now or maybe something that you've read recently that you just loved. Oh, I mean, you you name it. I um, Right now, I'm, because I just interviewed Valerie Bertinelli, so I'm just finishing oh. her book enough already. And Wait, I've known is that her. Out? Is that out yet? Yeah, it came out last week. Okay, yeah, I gotta get So um, I've read Atomic Habits. I read a lot of Pema Chodron. I read a lot of poetry. I, light, I write a lot of poetry. I read Joan Chittister, who's a nun who I really, really like. I read Joan Didion. I read, I reread a lot of things that I've read. My favorite book of all time is A Gift from the Sea by Anne Mara Lindbergh. And I read that and that's, anybody can read that in about an hour. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a great book for women and about, you know, coming into your own, understanding your role in life, how you learn your own confidence, your own being. I learn a lot through my Sunday dinners. I invite all kinds of people, just cold. I cold call people a lot. And um, I wonder what's that. That's like, hey, hey, this is Maria. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do bring th- your phone. Yeah, yeah don't bring, bring a book phone. recommendation, not your phone. I just noticed my phone is about to throw it across the room. <laughs> but I try to read things that are inspiring to me. I try to surround myself with people who are inspiring from all walks of life, all different kinds of experiences. What are you reading? Tom? Well, I just did Atomic Habits okay. and that changed. I mean, you kind of talked a little bit about, I've been a big believer in in visions, vision boards, having goals. I've hosted gold nights. We did one at the office and we had yeah. over a hundred people that came to write out their goals. But I think you talked about something that was important was a lot of people have goals. and A lot of people have ideas of where they want to go. And there's a difference between someone that's kind of, you know, interested in, in succeeding with their goals versus really committed. And there's someone like you that, that you're talking about that took, what is this, six, eight plus years to do this podcast and the sacrifices and everything that you've given up of going out at night and, you know, spending extra time of, of research or whatever that is that you've done. And it's creating kind of what this whole book talks about, Atomic Habits, is creating the habits that will lead towards those goals. And one of the things that I'm awful at is reading and meditation, which I've yet to work on, but I will. But my, my whole thing with reading was I kept saying two years ago, a book a month. I'm doing a book a month without a doubt. It's on my thing. But I didn't have this kind of why associated of why I wanted to read a book a month. Or I didn't create a habit in my morning that set me up for success to read. 
So I did it for January, then February, then like everybody else, March, April, May, I didn't read. And so what I've started to do, thanks to this book, Atomic Habits, was stack my habits. So I leave my book in, in the sauna, right? I know that every morning I'm waking up at 5.30, I'm in the gym at 6, I'm in the, the sauna at 7. And then I know I have nothing else to do in the sauna except for read. My book is right there. So now there hasn't been a day that hasn't gone by that I haven't read my, my 10 to 20 pages because I set it up for success by placing it in there. That's a really good tip for anyone who doesn't want to read. I, right. I also think if you are not a big reader, not you, but people in general, getting a Kindle has, is life changing right. because it's so easy to just pick up that that like upped my books crazy. It has to be a Kindle though because the iPad and the phone you start messing around. No, a on Kindle other has. I mean, yeah. I'm a huge reader, but reading a Kindle, it's tripled my reading. I can't right. believe it. You can't do anything on there but read. What are you right. reading? Right. What are you reading? I'm reading The Perfect Marriage, which is like a fiction mm-hmm. mystery right okay. now. I'm reading Jamie Lynn Spears's book because of what's happening with all of that. I'm just yeah. I'm into biographies. Right. Lonesome I'm, Dove. I'm, I'm trying. To I'm get reading you. Lonesome Dove, which Michael recommended. I like. I switch between genres, and I'm. I'm trying to think of like a good habit book that I'm reading. I'm reading The Brand Gap, which is all huh. about branding. Oh, that's so those. I kind of like switch to genres. I, I I have like a book club that I do with my audience, so I try to constantly. I created that too. Well, we to, we should do a book together. Sure, and I did that once again because I didn't want to let down a bunch of people that we had a scheduled Zoom time. And that was another thing that I did to create kind of this like accountability. Accountability. That's exactly. really smart. So because you knew that you weren't that, that that was an area that you wanted to improve, you had other people hold you accountable and exactly. then stack the habits. Exactly. That's smart. Thanks. You could also put it in your calendar. I have it in my calendar. Okay. To read? Yeah. Because then it like when I look at my calendar, it sets something off and it's in a certain color. It's yeah. in blue every day and it just no, like that's reminds smart. me. I mean, anything that's a kind of a reminder or whatever. I mean, when you have, I think there's some stat of when you have three reminders in a day or when you see something happen three times that you're like 90 something percent more likely to accomplish that that task. I don't know. I think what you do with your book club holding you accountable is pretty damn good. Sometimes even here, like I'll schedule like 30 minutes or an hour to read and the people in the company be like, what, the, what are you, like, where are you? What are you doing? I'm like, no, listen, I got it. Like I have to yeah. because Jeez, I, I this feel is like... A, this is a group of readers. We well, could talk you, about books the whole podcast. I'm not a reader. That's the whole thing though. <laughs> but so you are I, now. now I'm, you yes, are now a reader. I, and by the way, I just, I just yeah, totally messed up mentally. you can become a writer too. Because yeah. one of the things I sh- you should never say is that I'm not a reader. You are a reader. You are a reader. You are a reader. Yeah. He talks about that in Atomic Habits. I think one of the opening pages was the difference between someone that said, I'm trying to quit smoking. I'm versus, trying to yeah. quit drinking. I'm trying to quit gambling. Whatever that is versus I'm not quitting. a smoker. Yeah. And they were like 90 something percent more yeah. successful in quitting smoking or whatever by just saying to themselves, I'm not a smoker. I'm not yes. a drinker. I love so it. So I'm a reader. Yeah. Outside of just like what you learn, that. it's about also, I think, mentally like getting outside of yourself and in someone else's head. I, whenever I struggle in life or feel anxious or have anything that, you know, I'm working through, like getting outside of myself and reading, I found is like right. some of the best ways to deal with, you know, whatever issue you're going through. Good anti-anxiety. You, Writing is really good. Just yeah, even I, you're if inspiring you're, me to write. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just write down your anxieties, write down what you're feeling, write down your fears, write, write it down and write it out. And you will find when you write that all of a sudden you're writing things you didn't even know you were thinking. Yep. And that gives your thoughts and your anxieties and even your dreams a place to land. 
It gives them a place to be grounded. You started talking about grounding your children, right? And grounding yourselves. If you can write things down, it takes you out of your head and then you can look at what I often, because I write every week in the Sunday paper, I sometimes write and I didn't even know I was thinking that. Right. And then I'm like, wow. You so you're know, tapping into your subconscious. From? It's funny it's you, in, you well, say Of course, that. so much is in your subconscious, yeah. right? I had a, I have a business partner and I was struggling to communicate. And sometimes I do this in my marriage. I'm, I'm more like, you know, kind of a, sometimes a bulldog in a China shop. Something needs to get done. I'm like quickest way possible. And I lose some of the the cadence or the nuance of, you know, how to the communicate. The delivery. The delivery, right? Is what yeah. it's called. And I was struggling with my business partner. And one morning I went up to go and just, you know, read or whatever. And I was, I like got compelled to write him a letter. And I haven't done yeah. this for, I don't do this often. I was like, right. and I wrote it. And there was so much that I saw on the paper after I'm like, oh my, like I couldn't communicate verbally. Beautiful. And yeah. it was, I think it was probably one of the better things I've done one for our friendship and in our partnership because there's, we, we got to the same page and like the communication gap got broken down. Right. That yeah. makes sense. It was helpful. And also that, you know, you're, you're, someone isn't hearing a tone, perhaps if will you write something down, it's, a, you know, you can deliver news differently because so often when you're speaking, people don't hear you. Mm-hmm right? They're flooded. They don't, they are already projecting what you're saying. They're already off the reservation somewhere else, right? Right. So kind of reading, thinking, reflecting, writing, how they all go together is really a part of the kind of overall picture. You know what? I I would like a Sunday letter from you. Every Sunday, (laughs) I want a letter that professes your love It's probably actually a good idea. (laughs) I mean, speaking of that, like it was I was able to, I think, in a way, put more love in the delivery of that letter than I yes. was able to verbally. Yeah. Yes. And I think uh, when absolutely. I when he heard the delivery from that perspective outside of just like, this is the business, like then it was, yeah. oh, okay, like I can listen a little bit easier. Yes, now. he can receive it yes. differently. And all the research shows that like if you're having a conversation, people remember like 10%, which is why the the art of mirroring, mm-hmm. do you know that, yeah. right? You yeah. So that you, especially for couples, is so important because- when he's speaking or you're speaking, you're not really hearing anything that's being said, which is why can you, uh, when, so that, that, that talent of being, so what I hear you saying is, and then the person go, I didn't say that at all. Oh, they're yeah. like, I, I think I heard you say, please correct me in what you said that I didn't hear. Right. And that's actually, I think on a global level, we're doing that. On a national level, we're doing that. And families are doing that, sure. right? They, they can't hear each other because everybody's yelling, projecting, rushing out, and we're not skilled. Nobody's modeling for us how to converse, how to get along, how to model what listening looks like, how to model good parenting, how to model good relationships, right? This, our nation is in need of that. I think that you have to do a Sunday paper article on the art of mirroring, like a three-part series. I feel like it's needed. <laughs> mirroring? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, um, I've tried one. to do, you know, and then kind of talk to people about, you know, just even saying words like, tell me more, which allows somebody to, well, I don't know any, I don't know anymore. Well, I bet you do. You Tell me what you really think or tell me what you're really feeling. And that usually, like a whole new thing. Yeah. If you out. said that to me, I would faint. <laughs> I would faint. I what? would faint. Tell me more. If Michael said, tell me more. <laughs> because yeah. really? when I'm talking I'm sometimes, you know, men, they're like, yeah. tell me less. Yeah. If you said, tell me more, I would be, I would, I would tell you more. 
Listen, I'm a massive work in progress. I, I, I'm aware of that. Before we go, <laughs> tell me what happens when you say, tell me more. Okay, to her. report back. Okay, write, report write the whole back. Sunday paper uh, on it for her. You're, you have an <laughs> open invitation. Uh, one of the great things about the Sunday paper is that so many people want to write for it because people are all looking for insight. Mm -hmm. They're looking for how to do it better, whether it's in their marriage, whether it's in parenting. I think that's why books like the, the love languages, Gary Chapman's love is such a perennial bestseller because people go, right. all right, this isn't working. I want to do better, right? That's the also great human thing. Like, how can I do better? How can I communicate better? How can I parent better? You know, I've learned that I have to parent four different ways because what works <laughs> with one kid does not work oh with another gosh. kid wow. at, oh, at all because one has different way of hearing things. One has a different tempo. People learn differently. They hear differently. What works with one person did not work with another. So recognizing that we're all individuals and parents, you know, I definitely say things to one kid that I wouldn't say. I think to that's another. really good advice, though. I, I you know, <laughs> now that we're new parents, you know, constantly looking for, you know, inspiration and, you know, never, not really like seeking out how other people parent, but just looking for inspiration on, mm. you know, what's working, what's not. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I've seen a lot of parents that have tried to parent every kid the same way. And in, in my observation, yeah. sometimes that doesn't always work out in the best way. Well, how could it really? Because yeah. we're not all the same, right? Or like so treating everybody as an equal, you, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like if say there's three yeah. siblings that are all equal, all the same, but they're all different. Yeah. And they learn different. They some of them might need different kinds of education. Some might be a visual learner. Somebody might not do really well with this kind of academic pressure. Somebody is into the arts. Somebody else is into sports. Somebody else is into business. It's knowing who your customer is. <laughs> it's a lot of work with four. Yeah, but taking the time, I think that's also a big thing, right? Kind of when we talk about work and reevaluating work, we hear so much about the big resignation, the big work reevaluation. But parents and particularly women are under incredible pressure, right? To parent, to caretake elderly parents, to raise up kids, to, you know, do their own work. And where is the time, right? We act so different when we have time with people than when we don't have time. When we're in a rush, we're one person. When we're approaching the day and the conversation and the other person from a calm place, we're a completely different person. Michael's going to have plenty of time at those 7 p.m. dinners that I'm uh, holding at my table. I got the know? dinners. I got the Sunday. Now I got to write Sunday letters. Yeah. I got a, <laughs> you have a whole to-do list. This podcast yeah. committed me to a lot more. <laughs> Before we go, what can everyone find when they check out your brand? What what should they be looking for? Do they like, can we buy the swag? Like, tell us all the things about oh, it. Oh, yeah, I think, well, Look, I mean, can you what, buy the swag? Look at Patrick. Yeah, Patrick is swag. wearing really cute swag, you guys. That's why I asked that question. I think what we hope to do is to first off and foremost educate consumers about what they're eating or drinking or taking impacts their brain health. You know, that's our, our company was born out of a mission. We always stick with the mission. You know, it was built on a why, not the what. The product, you know, that we have right now, we have our brain bar, which was kind of formulated after some of the different supplements, ingredients that my mom was taking and that that her doctors recommended to be part of a low sugar diet, to be part of a um, good brain nutritional, healthy diet, yeah, yeah. brain healthy diet, nutritional fats and, and different vitamins and kind of superfoods that are involved in it. Our goal is to create kind of like a, a Newman zone and create a whole bunch of different product lines that speak towards brain health, whether that's a 
brain bar or that's a supplement or that's a powder that continue to educate consumers and that raise money for women's Alzheimer's movement. Mm. So yeah, that's what we're, we're trying to do. Where can everyone find your company, you, your newsletter, your Instagrams, pimp yourself out? Pimp ourselves out. Well, we're Whoa. at mosh, <laughs> www.moshlife.com. That's the only place we're sold because we like to communicate with our customers and followers. We're not on Amazon. We're not on any of that other stuff. So just through our own website. And you want to do a giveaway? Mosh's trial packs? Is that what they- sure. We'll give away anything for you guys. Our Instagram is Mosh Life. Our website is www.moshlife.com. And uh, yeah, we will choose 15 of your listeners and give them free trial packs. We'll also send a, a, maybe a, a hat or a shirt or something. And this is, you know, Mosh is, as you see above it, it's called the brain brand. And I think our hope, I'm putting it out there, is to build, as Patrick said, a company where you eventually will be able to go into the supermarket or go in, and you will see products that are good for your brain with a, a company that you can trust. Okay, that I know I can go and take those supplements. I can take that hydration powder because if you're dehydrated, you can't think straight. I can take that to help me sleep. I can take that to help me stay energized during the day because right now you go in and it's overwhelming. You know, the supplement space is overwhelming, right? It's hard to, it's hard to get through like which ones are legit and which ones are marketing companies. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so I think, you know, that certainly is something that I, and I hope that this will not only help inspire people and and inform people, but ultimately I hope it will be part of what finds a cure to really help people on a global level with their brain health. Really incredible what you guys are doing. 15 winners they're going to pick. All you have to do is follow at Mosh Life on Instagram and tell us your favorite part of this episode on my latest post at Lauren Bostick. Thank you guys both for coming Thank on. You. That conversation was like... <laughs> I'm taking notes over here. That's good. That's great. Yeah. And definitely Thank go back. Thank you for having us. Anytime. Come back anytime. Maybe Catherine comes next time too. Get the whole family. Yeah, yeah. Get the whole yeah you have to meet. We'll do it at Sunday uh, dinner. To meet. Yeah, that's right. You Bring have to come headphones. for Sunday dinner. You might need a podcast called Sunday dinner. Yeah. I feel like that would be very interesting. We did one during. Yeah, during Home the, Together. One called Home Together that we did during the beginning of. COVID, okay. yeah. Or with people who were doing, uh, using their platforms to give back to the various different communities. It was a big success and we really actually had fun. fun. And I was like, with Patrick, I was like, okay, now wait, you have to study. Now, before we do the interviews, you have to learn about the people that we're interviewing and then I'll start or you'll start. And how do we, he's like, oh. I was like, no, we have to have the questions. What are you interested in? And what am I, and it was interesting because we'd have somebody like Mark Cuban on and he was interested in completely different things than I was interested in. And it was really interesting kind of generationally to interview a person because we had such different interests in the same person. Right. You and guys are a good team. It's a very unique, it's, it works between you. Tag team. Yeah. And separately, team, yeah. one day, I'll just, I mean, I got to come pick your brain sometime, Rian, just interviewing people in general. I mean, like, talk about a wealth of knowledge, right? Yeah. I mean, we figured we've learned a couple things here, but it's not, yeah. you know, there's always. My you know. son, I was having dinner. We went out uh, to dinner to these people's house on the weekend, and I was sitting next to my son in law, and there were two kids across from the table, and we were talking, and I started asking the kids, like questions and stuff like that. And then we were driving in the car on the way home and he was like, you interviewed those kids. I mean, I, 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 writing down, I said, no, oh, I was just talking to them. And he's like, no, it was like, unbelievable. I, I imagine like, oh, it's wow, probably okay. strange for you sometimes to be on the other side because you're so used to being on this side. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, yeah used to it. But I think, you know, being curious about someone's life is such a great gift yep. to give to somebody else. Right. 
And uh, so that's why I love to interview people because it, it inspires me, people's journeys and their time here and what motivates them. And I'm also really inspired by people who change course, mm-hmm. who have the courage to do that, people who are brave, you know, people who are brave. It's just, wow, it's so inspiring. People who go like, mm, that, that wasn't working for me. I was wrong over here. Now I'm trying this and it's a completely different thing or I'm going to go out on my own or I'm going to try that. I'm going to invest in myself. All of those things are like, wow, to me. We're waiting for your book that you guys should write together or yeah. separately, both of you. One day. Yeah, he'll, he'll write a book on business. I'll write I can, a book I can on, see it. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming Thank on. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was home run. These were great. Before we go, we are giving away some Mosh Life products. All you have to do is follow Maria and Patrick on Instagram and tell us who you want to hear next on the Skinny Confidential, him and her podcast. We love your feedback. We are in the DMs. We are in the comments section. We are taking notes, screenshots. Can't even imagine. Make sure you've rated and reviewed the podcast and we'll see you next time. Bye.